Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You don't understand. This is a liar. How can you think that I'm her dad when we both look exactly the same age? You do not look the same age. I was being kind of I'm going to hypnotize him. I hear I christened this mountain Barbie camper. And welcome to this episode of Pop Gaze the Tam Tam. So for this episode, I've decided to do things a little bit different. We have touched on TV shows. We've done a film. But this time, we're going to be discussing a book. Yes, Tam Tam is entering her written word era. And also the era where she clearly begins to talk about herself in the third person. (laughs) Now, we're almost in the period of peak summer reads. And obviously, I have to come with my own recommendations. So to kick this off, my first recommendation and the book that I'm going to be discussing today with my guest is Babel or The Necessity of Violence, which is written by... R.F. Kuang. It was released in 2022. And of course, you know, you're looking for something light, something fluffy. Um, This book has 545 pages with footnotes. So, (laughs) something to think about before you pack it. (laughs) So, For those of you who aren't familiar with Babel or haven't heard of the book before, here is a little bit of scene setting around the plot. The book is set in an alternative reality of 1830s Britain in which the global economy and imperial supremacy are fueled by the use of magical silver bars. To harness the power of the translation and the magic of the silver bars, an alternative version of Oxford University hosts the Royal Institute of Translation, which is nicknamed Babel, which is where the book gets its title from. At the university and in Babel, scholars work to find matched pairs, which will unlock certain forms of magic using translations from different languages and the book very much focuses on the view of the British Empire from people who are colonised by it and how their societies, their language is taken apart piecemeal to aid other countries. The book follows the lives of four of these translation students. Robin Swift, who is the main character, who is mixed race Chinese, but is brought to Britain. Rami, who is a Muslim Indian student. Victoire, who is a Haitian student raised in France. And Letty, who is the daughter of a British former admiral. For this episode, I have been joined by Emma from the podcast The Notes from the Library. Unfortunately, when Emma joined me 
for this episode. A tornado, I know, so exciting, just doesn't happen over here. A tornado had recently blown through her state and it meant that the internet connection for our conversation was not very good. So the quality of the recording is poor. Unlike the content, which regular listeners of this pod will know will be excellent and is excellent. <laughs> My name is Emma. I am the host of the Notes from the Library podcast, which is a podcast similar to yours where I mainly talk about books, but I talk about writing and movies and all of that fun stuff. It's a really excellent podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. And I also follow you on TikTok. Oh my gosh, really? My friend, she was like, you have to start TikTok. You have to do this. You have to do that. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, I hate showing my face. So it's only of like the tiny little bookshelf I have at college. Like that's the only thing I show pretty much. I am studying uh, video production. I want to work in news or sports until hopefully I can become a published author. Because I know um, my mom always said, you're not going to have a bestseller right out of college so I study video production so I can do that until hopefully I can publish books. Oh that's really cool. Something I want to talk about in this episode is how in a lot of the recommendations I've seen on book talk when it comes to Babel or Babel it's a lot of it is if you like the secret history you will like this book and I like the secret history but I think the two are quite different even though they have some similarities i think the fact that the secret history sort of hovers over this just for me just for a personal thing i felt that that was detracting a little bit from this book but that's just a personal oh yeah i have to admit that was like my number one know that i i agree with you 100 percent. i love the secret history it actually sits on my nightstand next to me i usually read it i just read it over and over and over again it is my favorite novel and i i guess maybe that everyone's like this is gonna tell the secret history how it's done because the secret history romanticizes this i'm like secret history criticizes it i mean donna tart's classmates didn't speak to her after she published it yeah like it's not only the framework of the aesthetic but it's also the framework of hey some of these people didn't know the moon landing happened. Like, they're stupid at this some points. Yeah. If you were looking at Babel from the perspective of secret history, secret history is told from the perspective of Letty, whereas yes. Babel is the people who aren't in secret history. Yes. I. It seemed like um, I would compare it to, you know how, like, in the secret history, how they treat, uh, like, Judy? Yeah. Like, or, like, Marin, like, an extra because they're not a part that group yes that is that is why i think babel comes similar from because judy wasn't as rich or as smart as as they were because like they said something like she takes like the cheap drugs or she take or she does like the cheap booze or she likes to party or just because she didn't like fit perfectly in with their uh collective it was like we're not gonna give this woman a a shot yeah and for me i just thought if you were expecting like song of achilles if you're expecting babel to be like secret history prepare yourself to be shocked maybe a little bit disappointed because this book has a lot of rich meanings whereas i think secret history is a critique on the sort of people who get into those type of universities 
because from Richard's perspective, he's got everything to lose and he ends up getting sucked into this crowd yeah. that essentially it doesn't matter if they graduate or not. There will be jobs for them. They will have a future. Yeah, I, yeah and I have to admit, I think that is also, because I know, like, I'm probably not the, the best person because I, I, like, I love Henry Winter as much as the next girl. You should see the text message my friend and I, who both, Adore the secret history sent back and forth to one another. Like the t- like it, it's bad. I read my text messages about Henry Winters. I think she would never look me in the eye again because I. But I'm also someone like if Henry Winters was real, I would hate him. Yeah. But I think it's because he's fiction. That's where a lot of the disconnect is. Like for example, people size the hell out of Loki. The same yeah. way they were going to size the hell out of Henry. I think it's just something about it being fiction. And I think that's where a lot of people are like oh. Dark Academia is so bad because they romanticize murderers. I'm like, but it's 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 not like that. It's not like we're looking at Ted Bundy and we're, and we're making like thirst traps of him. It's a fictional character. If he was real, no one supports what Henry does. No one no one even reading the book supports what Henry does. Yeah. But he's just that morally gray character that's the same in fantasy novels and in Marvel movies and all that. Yeah. So I think that really is it. It's a million miles away from secret history i definitely wouldn't recommend it yeah. together as a read yeah especially the fantasy aspects like when i when i when you read the secret history i mean i guess maybe if you want to push it and, and count the back and out as fantasy yeah. but i mean like no they were just they were just tripping on mushrooms mm. or something in the woods where I, when i picked up Babel and all of a sudden they talk about the the silver with the magical powers i i like put the book down for like a couple minutes i was like what, what like I, to me it wasn't marketed as a fantasy novel and yeah. i'm not a huge fantasy person so that, i have to admit that really like took me out of it at first because i wasn't expecting that and that was a huge part of the book yeah and it's it's a very interesting part of the book actually how she uses magic so if we now transition into the plot of the book so, I mean, you are so succinct at this, so I'm not sure if you want to go ahead and introduce the plot of the book to the listeners. Uh, yeah, I can give a, a brief summary, because I, I want to spoil it for people who haven't read because I know it's still relatively new, and I also know a lot of people, I don't know if a, if it's as expensive as it is in, in, in the UK, so it was like 38 bucks. Really? Because it was like £10 here. My hard cut. My heart, oh, it will, I don't know if they do the same in the UK for you, but new releases are all hardback. Oh, right, okay. So it was like 30, I think 36, 38 bucks for me when I bought it. And so it's actually rotating through a lot of my friends because like, luckily for me is, is, I, is I had the money to buy it, but a lot of my friends did not. So I know a lot of people near me are struggling because a lot of people are like, oh, I, I want to read it and I won't watch their use of it, but I just cannot put down almost 40 bucks including taxes for it. Not based in recent times. It's back during the British Empire and he is studying at Oxford University. And I think even though it's based in real places or based off of real places, that magical element I think adds more to it as we were talking about earlier. And there he meets a group of students in exploration of the academia and I think language and kind of like the institutions, I think. I don't know if that was, like, supposed to be the part of it. I think it was, but I saw that it was mainly a study of kind of that time period and what was happening around it in academia with, like, a hint of fantasy. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting take 
on that particular period because obviously it's set in 1836 which is a year before Queen Victoria ascends the throne and the celebrations for her becoming queen and for me that was the weakest part of the book and that's only because I studied history at university and I would have liked a bit more period detail but I would say the thing about R.F. Kwong's writing is that I've read a couple of fantasy books and a couple of what-if books. But the thing about this is the way she replaces the in- traditional industrial revolution with this idea of the silver revolution, and she does it really well. She kind of logically says, well, what if they were using magical silver bars instead of all of this machinery, which is what they were using? And I think that's what sets this book apart from a lot of young adult fiction. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. I didn't, I'm not very well versed in the Industrial Revolution. It was not a period of history. I learned a lot about, I learned about it, like, like in world history, like they, this is what happened, this kind of what happened in Britain and France, all that stuff. And I know more about the American Industrial Revolution Revolution, because of course, depending on where you're from. But I think her world building actually took me out of it a little bit, because somewhat getting what she was doing with the with the silver bars. But I'm also someone where the world building, I feel like she somewhat overdid it. Like she was explaining like the streets of Oxford. I'm like, okay, we know that. And I, I read the Poppy War. Mm-hmm. By her, I don't know if if you have. No, I haven't. I'm not a huge fan of her writing style. So it was actually very, it was very hard for me to get into her book. I, it, it's one of those things where like writing style doesn't click mm. for me. So like world building is not something I really care about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I felt like the over explanation of things, especially when world building really yeah. took me out of it. And then something like the history aspect, like if this is a historical take on this, I don't care as much about the silver bars. I care about the context yeah. of what is happening in history. Yeah. Like how the how does the woman taking over the throne and someone as I mean influential as Queen Victoria was? I mean, it, she kind of mixed the game. I don't know if, if that's just the way my history is taught me, but I think leads to Elizabeth and then Elizabeth II. So it's stuff like I wanted to know, like what is this? Because that's a huge shift. A monarchy changing is huge. Because I know, like even. In the States, when uh, Queen Elizabeth just died, everyone's like, whoa. Like, everyone kind of knew where they were when that happened. Like, I remember I was sitting in class, I was like, the Queen just died? So I wish, like, that was what I cared about. I was so happy you brought it up. So I'm like, I want to know, like, how does this change? Because you have such a male, especially a white male dominating industry, and now you have a woman who's yeah. now the head, biggest, one of the biggest empires the world has ever seen. And everyone's like, yeah, that just happened on, like, a Tuesday. <laughs> Well, it is really interesting that you should say that, because just to give it a bit of historical context, when Queen Victoria ascended to the throne, she took over from her uncle, William IV. William IV was part of, so you know George III. So so William IV was George III's, one of his sons. Yeah. And he inherited the throne from his brother, George IV. Now, George IV had had a daughter, but she died in childbirth. So her and the heir both died. And so there was a dynastic crisis. They had a lot of illegitimate children. There were no legitimate children. And Victoria came out of that. Her dad just married a German princess and tried to get her pregnant as quickly as possible. That worked. 
He then died a year later. So Victoria never met her father. She never knew him. And she was brought up in this system called the Kensington system, where she was essentially a prisoner. She was held under house arrest by her mother. She wasn't allowed to go out. She wasn't allowed to meet other children. And when she actually got the throne, people were very excited because basically... The Hanoverians, George III, had been had suffered from mental illness. His son, George IV, had basically been an alcoholic womanizer. And William IV is kind of boring. So she comes in and she's she's 18, she's young, she's dynamic, and she's sort of the emblem of where Britain feels like it is in the world. So it's it's new, it's shiny, everything about it is modern. And she's kind of the emblem of that. But within a year, the wheels come off because she gets into a lot of political things that she shouldn't be involved in. People start to say she's not a very good queen. Now, obviously, she writes that ship and she does it tremendously well. But the first, I'd say, 18 months of her rule, very difficult. She's navigating this. And like you say, she is often the only woman in the room. And everyone has to give her deference. In a world where women are still the chattel of men. The book touches on that a little bit. Like, I know when they when they got, like, the woman in the book, they're like, yeah, and they also were, like, overshadowed by this. And so I'm like, there is that connection there. Like, what is this starting something different? Especially, like at Oxford at this time, mm. you didn't really have minorities and you didn't really have women. So I'm like, yeah. does that cause a shift? Because also Victoria shifted the entire, really like the bloodline of, of the throne. Yeah. And that leads eventually to Queen Elizabeth II. Elizabeth is the queen that overlooked the kind of fall of the British Empire. Well, I was just going to say, Elizabeth II also, she oversaw the transition. They became part of the Commonwealth. Well, it's exporting race, but I also think there's that, like, Letty and uh, Victoria have that other aspect of being women. I would have loved to know, like, how, how, how did these women there kind of breaking barriers at Oxford, which was a male-dominated academia setting in this in this world, how would they have reacted to that? And I'm like, that would have been so cool to explore more. Because she touches on sexism and misogyny in the book, but then, like, glosses over the fact that, like, one of the most powerful women in British history was just brought to the throne at age 18. Misogyny comes in many different flavours, and I think that R.F. Kwong spores misogyny, but also the misogyny that black women face, which is very different I would say I mean I'm not black I'm white and I'm cisgendered female the misogyny that I face is different I would say and the face that has been put on misogyny and the voice that defends against it is very much rooted in the white female experience feminism isn't just about lifting white women up it's feminism for all not feminism for one and I think that's quite interesting because how it plays out with Letty is that it's very much within the prism that she exists and her life isn't I mean I can only talk about the history that I know and in that history she's still a chattel she can go to this university and she can she can do all this translation stuff. But the thing is, no one's ever really going to take her seriously. And a lot of people are just going to... Yeah, until she gets married. And also then she'll just become the property of her husband. But I think the misogyny that Victoire was facing is two-pronged. A, a lot of people can't even... I mean, you kind of saw that at that that ball scene where one of the characters I mean they kind of wanted the girls to ex- ex- 
expose their breasts, which was just awful. And then in another scene, one of them doesn't even notice that she is not a waitress. So you've got that whole either she's overly sexualized or she's invisible. The colour of her skin comes before her gender. And then also she's got that other aspect. So she's not just, you know, in their eyes, she's not just black, but she's also committing the sin of being a woman, which is like the other worst thing that you can be. I think it would have been more effective instead of them lecturing me. There were moments of doubt because I know, like, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I worked in a production room for a, a sports team over the summer. Mm. And every day I was told, oh, well, women can't do this and women can't do that. And I told my mom, like, two months into the summer, I'm like, I, I have to leave. She's like, mm. well, I'm like, I-, I can't sit there every single day and listen to that. I go, I'm the only woman in the room. I go, they make jokes about how I should go get the food and that all I'm good for is just sitting there. And if I they need someone to be on camera, that's it. I'm like, I know more about half this stuff than other people. And you start to internalize it. Because there was a moment where I told my mom, I go, I think if I listen to it one more time, I'm going to believe it. And I wish, I think that was also my main critique of the book is Robin and all these people is you live in this system where you are constantly told that, but all of them are so gung-ho, adamantly against it. And then when they rally the kids, they everyone automatically agrees with them. Mm. But if you live in a system where every day you're told something, a bunch of times you believe it to be true, yeah. well, I wish there was that moment doubt because you do doubt yourself. Like, I don't know, like, even academia now, like, one time I said to my dad, I didn't really, like, this book I didn't really agree with. It. And they're like, well, did you understand it? I was like, yes, John, I understood it. Thank you. I mean, they're they stuck in this system. Yeah for better or for worse they're stuck i think that's so interesting and i think the issue there comes from when you only have one perspective so so the perspective is robin's his perspective on the girls is kind of quite shallow he kind of takes things for granted like how good friends they are because he's such a good friend with rami unless it's directly shown to him or one of them tells him what is happening he kind of takes things for granted but i like what you said about that they were completely sure straight away what they wanted to do i don't have many criticisms of this book i think it is a fascinating read for anyone who really wants to learn more about colonialism that isn't in a history book. So if you're interested in, if you've read a lot about colonialism and you're interested in maybe stepping away from that and reading a fictional book, this is a good one to start with because it unpacks from the inside. The pacing for me with the book is the issue. I kind of felt like all of the stuff that took place in the tower during the strike was was the most interesting stuff you read it and it was like minute by minute and you kind of felt like you were in there you felt the excitement you felt the terror that's all really exciting but I think Robin a lot of the way he reacts towards the end is to do with what has happened to his brother and what has happened to Rami and I think he's internalizing as a way to punish the system because it kind of reminds me of you know in that in game of thrones where daenerys targaryen does that speech about i want to break the wheel that's essentially what happens to robin he wants to break the wheel lannister targaryen baratheon stark tyrell they're all just spokes on a wheel this one's on top then that one's on top and on and on it spins crushing those on the ground it's a beautiful dream stopping the wheel not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. 
I'm going to break the wheel. Very, very invested in. I was like, buy also someone. Like, if your book starts reaching like 500 pages, you, you can cut that down a little bit. Like, come on, guys. But um, I, I felt that because especially also when it's like, it is violence, the answer and things like that. And I think it raises a question and people are like, yes, it is or no, it isn't. I think it, it's somewhere in, in the middle. Victoire's perspective, which is much more measured and understanding. And also, yes, she wants change, but at what cost does she want it? And then you've got Robin, who at all costs wants change. And then you've got Letty, who at no cost wants change. So as we move to close up this amazing episode, because I could just talk to you all day. Yeah, I'm, I'm having so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> Same here. I could literally talk to you for hours. But I wanted to say, in terms of this book... Would you recommend it? And how many stars would you give it? I have to admit, I went back and forth with this question. I think it was the question I thought about the most. Because, like, I know some people that... I think if you liked The Poppy Wars, if you liked her style of writing, mm-hmm. yes, 100%, pick it up. Because I, 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 I liked her writing style a little bit more in Babel than I did in The Poppy Wars. It's just something about her writing style. So, I mean, if you did not like her writing style... To spend 500 pages pushing through a book, and also, again, like we talked about the price. Like, if you don't like her writing style, mm. I would not recommend it. If you did like The Poppy War and you were like, um, I would give it a read. It's one of those books where I'm like, yeah, I read it and I liked it, but I don't see myself picking it up again. Mm. So I think it'd be like a based on the person kind of reading it. Most of the people I hang out with read fantasy, mm-hmm. so I would recommend it to people, but I think it would be, if you liked the genre, I would, but if not, it's a very long book if you don't like the genre. Now we move on to slightly more fun part. So if there was a film, now I, I don't see a film, I see a TV series personally. I think this would make a great TV series. Yeah, like a limited series. Yeah, like a limited series on Netflix or the BBC, something like that. And so we were talking about fan casting. So I don't know if we want to do one character each or do it together. So list off our fan casts. Shall I go first with mine and then you do yours? It's up to you. Okay, so for Robin, yes. I yes. had William Gout. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm dyslexic, so I'm not great at pronouncing anything. So if I mangle these names, it's simply because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so William Gout. Now, he's in Heartstopper. He plays Tao in that. And I think he would make an amazing Robin, not just because of the look, but also because he's a really good actor and I think that's what Robin needs he needs an actor that can show you the sort of arc of this that this person's gone on yeah I haven't I haven't seen Heartstopper yet but I heard he's really good in it for Robin for me um I picked he's actually a Chinese actor his name is Wang Chang and I my friend once recommended me like this historical fantasy series and he was one of the leads in it so I was like okay like he, he can hit like both genres of it and i've seen he models a lot for um like burberry which mm-hmm. is a very like has a lot of dark academia so yeah. like uh, he the way he looks he fits the aesthetic and also i think you need a certain actor for like fantasy i think mm-hmm. and because he's done fantasy and he's done historical i was like okay this fits i just think he would be interesting but i haven't seen um heartstopper yet but i have a feeling it's on my list to watch i just read all the books so i have a feeling that might change if you're speaking this highly 
Well, I also need to look up yours as well because he sounds amazing. So I may go the other way as well. We may swap over. You may not watch Heart Stutter and you may be like, oh, it's got to be, it's got to be Will. Um, and then I may be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to go next with Rami? I have to admit, for Rami, I kind of picked the same guy you did. Yeah. I picked the same guy you did. I, I've never seen anything he's in. And I also kind of liked his hair. I'm not going to lie. He had great hair. I was like, yeah, like, I like the hair. Like, I think he could fit. I, yeah. His name is Ashan Katir. Now, I'm, I probably got that completely wrong. Yeah. So, pronunciation guides, if anyone knows how to pronounce that, please let me know. Because I'm terrible with reading names. I've seen a couple of things he's done. He's a Bollywood actor. Let's be real, he's hot. Yes. <laughs> If we move on to Letty, for Letty, I cast an actress called Sophie Kennedy-Clark. I've seen her in a couple of things, but for me, she's just got that look that was so well described in the book. Now, what about your Letty? Okay, my Letty is not an actress, but I, okay, so I fan-cast this girl in everything. Every single one of my character thinks she has her, and is Victoria from Monoskin. She's the basis. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've... She is probably one of the coolest people. Like, I'm like, if I was to meet anyone, I want to be her friend. Like, if I, like, if that was like my dying wish, it's my dying wishes to be her friend. <laughs> she is so cool. And she has this, and she also is someone that, um, kind of, I think, like, she, she is, is, is a feminist. So I think it'd be very interesting to see her in this yeah. scenario because she even talks about, like, well, why, why do I have to dress a certain way? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to act a certain mm. way? And she gets a lot of hate for how she dresses. But she has the, the blonde hair, the very, like, um, dark-ish demeanor, but she's also kind of, like, funny. So I think it'd be very interesting to see her. And also, I have the biggest crush on her. I absolutely love this girl. So when I tell you every single one of my books, her and another actor that's on my list is in every single one. I love this girl. Like, I would just love to see you in anything. That's so cool. I would love to see her in the role. And then we've got Victoire who I picked a French actress for. So her name is Kajija Touré. Now, obviously, my French is not great, so I probably ruined that as well. <laughs> but I love the idea of her being played by a French person. Uh, for me, I picked, I don't know if you've seen it in Netflix, like short, docu uh, short uh, uh, limited series Hollywood, but I picked Lauren Herr, who uh, played the main actress. She, uh, that kind of, she, I think, told the story of the first black woman, like, awards and everything, and she mm -hmm. kind of broke down in the film this barrier of um, all these white actresses were going out for this, and she, as a black actress, got it. So she's one of the only black actresses in the studio and everything. Mm -hmm. And she was a really good act actress. It was the only thing I've ever seen her in. I don't know if she's in other projects. I want to get more. I was just watching that short uh, series the other day, so that's why she's, like, in the front of my mind. And she's a very dynamic actress, and I think it'd be interesting to see her. I don't want to like typecast her because I'd be like really yeah. bad, but I, she was so good at conveying all of the emotions and the ups and downs of that stuff in Hollywood. Mm. I think she could really bring to light all of that in in this 
Um, midday film we have also. Well, that is on my to watch list, so I will definitely check that out and I will keep in mind of her performance because you sell it really well and it sounds like she would make a great victoire. For the professors, Lovell and Chakrabarti, I went for Lovell, Andrew Scott, and Chakrabarti, I went for Sasha Dewan. Just realising I forgot to do one of the professors, so all I have is Lovell. I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> But I put Kill Murphy, another actor who I oh, actor yeah. like I he is someone where like he's on screen, I'm like, this is it like get this man an Oscar. Like he breathes, I'm like, why is this man not dripping in awards? <laughs> um and I think it's also so funny because he is Irish and you know how like the Irish don't like yeah. mess with the English. So I think it'd just be so funny to have him there. Cause like I don't know if you've ever seen it when he met like Prince Harry. The disappointed Killian Murphy meme was like born that day. Like he looks him up and down like you're not my prince. <laughs> I'm Irish and you're not my prince and so I think it would just be like so funny and he's such a good actor yes, yeah. and I think in a cast of very young actors having a really like well seasoned actor I agree yeah really good I love Killian Murphy I could talk about him all day so I'm gonna shut up <laughs> no I think I think Killian Murphy as Lovell would just be incredible that would be incredible he but... has that dark demeanor yes yeah yeah and he's quite menacing as well because i think that's kind of why i went for andrew scott because he can be quite menacing well he he can be very menacing i recently saw him in i don't know if you've seen that film catherine called birdie and he played the dad in that and the whole way through i was expecting him to do something really awful and when he didn't i was like that's unnerved me (laughs) so As we wrap this amazing episode up, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being such an incredible guest. Obviously, I listened to your podcast, so I knew you were going to be incredible. Thank you for having me. Talking to you has just been a dream. Oh my gosh, no, talking to you has been so much fun. I love your podcast about Doctor Who. And now I'm going to have to get you on mine. Oh, I would love to come on yours. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so much for being such a fantastic guest. And just to remind everybody where they can find you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to hold you. You have to come on my show. But you guys can all find me. You can find me at the Notes from the Library. And it's actually, people ask me, like, what's that about? It's a spinoff of Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky. So it's well. Some people are like, yes, I am well-read. I've read Dostoevsky. But to that, or you can find me, my personal Instagram is EmmaW019. So you can kind of find me both places. So, yeah, that's really kind of all there is about me. And thank you so much for having me. I, I can't wait to have you on my show now. Oh, We're thank you. about writing or something. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> or we I... just fangirl about Doctor Who. I don't know. I'm <laughs> we'll do both. We'll have you come on. We'll have you come on just talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> Time to people who don't care.